Food Talk with Mike Colomeco is brought to you by Cento at Cento.com, Colavita at Colavita.com, and Wines of Portugal at WinesofPortugal.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome, Michael Mecco here. Michael Mecco's Food Talk on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, it's supposed to snow again, I heard. Yeah, I shouldn't bring that up in the early part of the show, but did you look at the weather? Yeah, Thursday or Friday or Friday or Saturday. I know, it's crazy. It's like spring and it's, the winter won't say goodbye, but that's okay. Eventually, it'll be the last one. We thought last week was, but maybe not. Maybe not so much. Um, I had to drive home in that like blizzard last Friday, and that sucked. We got a lot more snow than we were supposed to. I want to give a shout-out to a... Um, a place I'd been before, I was, but I, I was there at a wine team. There's a great little wine bar. I love wine bars. The, the wine bar scene in New York has evolved so much over the last 10 years. Uh, it just keeps getting better. And I remember when the wine bar scene was evolving in Paris with places like Willie's and Le Clouse back in the 80s. It's such a great – I mean, if you love wine and you love food, wine bars are great because you get to drink tons, glass after glass of great wines, um, sharing wines with people, and food that works with wines, which is like most food if it's the wine's good and the food's good. Uh, and New York has gotten better and better, so I was at a Sauvignon tasting back in January, or maybe it was December, with Pascalina Peltier hosting it at this place called Racine. It's downtown. I think it's on Chamber Street. Maybe it's church. Um, but they had, they had one in France. They opened up here. It's, it's amazing. So I went for dinner last night, sat on the chef's bar, just had the chef throw food at me. Great wine pairings, great restaurant, R-A-C-I-N-E. Love the place. I'll be back. Food's really, really solid, and the wine list is dope, and the, everyone on the floor knows the wine. Um, got a great show here today. Stay tuned. We have three guests, Herb Carlitz. Industry pros, been on forever. I don't know why I know your name so well, because it's been around for a while. You used to do PR or something. I don't know. It was You've been in this space for since the late 90s, 90s, 90s? Early 90s. Early I mean, 90s. Food festivals and working with chefs. But I have to say, first, thank you for having me. And this is just I'm just so jealous where your office is, like in the back of one of my favorite restaurants in the country, with Carlo. This is just too good to be true. Yeah, Carlo's funny. I don't. Carlo's a funny guy, um, super talented guy. I remember when he won the when I win. He was on the Food and Wine's Best Chef, you know, the July issue, where they picked like the hot ten new chefs, and they, I think they actually had that party at the Four Seasons when for for when for that issue. And I've met him a few times, and you know he's that younger generation Brooklyn hipster, and I'm the old New York Manhattan old fuck. So there's always that sort of tension between the sorry between the Brooklyn scene and Manhattan, which I don't see why that should exist. But then again, maybe it's their turn because we used to you remember like back in the day, if you were a Manhattan chef on the weekends, we would refer to the Bridge and Tunnel crowd. Bridge and Tunnel, yes, crowd. which was clearly a jab at Brooklyn and Jersey. Um, but times have changed. Brooklyn is on fire. He's super talented. But I've been doing this show for a year and a half out of here, just under the radar in terms of you know him and the scene. And then last week, I guess he saw me and he sent me food. Like I'm sitting here in the stone waitstaffs bringing in food, and I'm like, I didn't order anything. Like wrong table. Like it's probably them. And they don't know it's from the chef. And I'm like, well, thank him. That's sweet of him. So, but that's Carlo. I mean, Carlo just has tremendous passion. He, he I'm sure you were here when he, before Blanca, and he was doing the service. You'd come here like at five o'clock in the afternoon. And he'd do like 20 courses, and he'd say, you know, just try to be here early, please, because I have to take care of the restaurant starting like at 6.30. Yeah, this was a brilliant. Was this, amazing. And this place, I mean, it's hard to pick, you know, catalysts and tipping points. But this place on this corner was really sort of the beginning of Bushwick blowing up. Because like, this is so remote. It's so – it's. If, if you haven't been out here, folks, what the, the food's amazing, the pizza's amazing, the restaurant's great. Now he's got Blanca out back, which is he's really having fun. I mean, really cooking. But the you know he's surrounded by it looks like post-industrial Armageddon. There's razor wire, and it's just the zonings. I mean, the Dietz and Watson plant across the street. Um, who knew Bushwick would blow up? And I, in big part, thanks to these guys. The last time I was here, actually, I was here with a friend, uh, Christopher Costa from Three, yeah. Three Star Meadowood. Amazing out west. He did his book party here in Brooklyn, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. How crazy is that? And we're talking about doing like a home and home and having Christopher come back here with Carlo and do 
a dinner together and then bring Carla back out to Napa Valley. How different is Napa Valley from Bushwick? Yeah, it couldn't be more opposite. And Costa was telling a guy, I've never eaten at his restaurant, but I had him on the radio back at OR. Let's talk about what you're doing. Let's get let's cut to the chase. Now, is this the first annual Harlem Meetup? This is the first annual okay. Harlem Meetup. I love the way you said that because that implies, and it's true, that this will be, be an annual festival. Well, one would think, especially with your track record. So back, how did this come to be? Because you tell your story. You've been involved with the New York Food and Wine. Yes. I mean, I kind of know who the players are backstage on that stuff. But talk about some of the other festival you've, festivals you've done and, and, have, and continue to do, and then how you got this idea for Harlem Meetup and how you brought it to be. Well, I was involved, actually, in the very first South Beach Wine and Food Festival before there was a SOBE, if you will. And it was actually about 13, 14 months ago at Sobe last year when I was at one of the after parties with uh, my friend Marcus Samuelson, who now had been established in Harlem with Rooster, yeah. doing great, giving back, providing jobs in Harlem. And we just sort of looked at each other and said, it's time. We have to put Harlem on the world stage. And we both got that. And you know, in somewhat in different levels, because... He, in fact, had, had around that time also had an editorial that came out in the New York Times where he talked about he was not even from this country. Yeah. I remember And the these. hospitality yeah. and just loving Harlem. And so, well, I think he walks around Harlem like the unofficial mayor, if you will. It's just amazing. And he's given back. And, um, and I grew up in Brooklyn, which we just talked about that, the Brooklyn restaurant, which wasn't that when I was, when I was there, <laughs> short of juniors and a couple of other places. Um, but we said, it's time. And what we meant by that was to showcase everything Harlem was, is, and where it's going in the food, in the food of course, the arts, the music, and most of all, the people. It's just great. It's just an amazing celebration. So that was February. And next thing we know, in May, last May, he and I are doing a press conference downstairs at Ginny's Supper Club with President Bill Clinton and Mayor de Blasio. And there's a room full of press. And tons of cameras. We look at each other and say, okay, there's no turning back now. We are doing this. <laughs> yes. and, and, and this has just been an, an amazing ride for the last 12 months. Tough, as any first-year festival is. You're building it. It's new. But it's been an incredible experience. And there's tons of people involved. And everybody who's anybody in Harlem. And it's really a give back. And it's really about... As I just said, sharing and, and, and showcasing the fabric of what makes Harlem so special. Give me the dates. Give me the website a couple of times or the phone number. So I can do that a lot. Yeah, do that. So it's coming up in May. It's a weekend. It's, a, it's, actually, it's actually a Thursday to Sunday. It's May 14th to the 17th. The website is www.harlemeetup.com. That's harlemeetup.com. And... Um, we're already more than half sold out on our tickets. No way. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, because you're, I have, I mean, you might have seen this with events, but it, the trends lately have been ticket sales being sluggish and then selling out eight to 10 days before the event for a lot of stuff, unless it's huge and established. That's what I've sure. seen. I mean, that's, people just sort of don't want to move with their wallets until a week before then they commit. You know, Mike, you're right. And, and you also see that, and I've seen that in my experience with all the festivals that I've helped to create and, and produce. And this one's just been a little different, and it's been different even on the corporate side. These festivals don't happen without corporate sponsors. No, and I should say congratulations to this. So one of the hats, I mean, I do a PBS show for 14 years. I'm the host producer, which sounds great. Oh, you get to eat out all the time. That's be wonderful. I'm like, you know, I fucking raise money. That's what I do. Right. If you think that's great, it sucks. But it's, I'm just constantly passing a hat around. You have that to is do it. my job. Everybody gets paid. I'm the last guy to get paid, and you don't. None of this happens unless you can get someone to commit to it. And I was looking when I got the press release initially, you know, scrolling down, scrolling down. I want to get to the bottom. Like, who's... And I'm like, God damn, gee. I mean, you got huge names involved in here. And across the board, not just like... I didn't see Pellegrino, but not just the normal food and beverage, you know, Southern or this or that. I mean, you've got Aetna. You've got companies I've never heard of. People in finance. City. City. In fact, it was at the press conference. It tells you how what kind of vision they have. Our first founding sponsor to come on with Ernst & Young. Now they call themselves EY. And they say Ernst That's Young. why you know I did it. Is. That's and the so one I didn't corporate hear of. I'm like, corporate America. E? I'm looking at it going, E, E, who are these people? Yeah, I announced them at the press conference. And then and Clinton did a shout out to him. It was, it was great. And, and I just think that everyone shares that same vision of that it's, it's Harlem's time. And as Marcus and I have put this festival together, 
this is not another cookie cutter festival. There, there are. We're celebrating the chefs who are who are in Harlem. Yeah, talk about. I want to. We're going to break it down by day soon. But talk. Finish your thought, and then we'll kind of go. What's going on Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Sure. And Sunday. I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the broad view that I was going to say was that it, it 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 we've paired chefs in Harlem with celebrity chefs from outside of Harlem. Yeah. And I can't tell you about all the chefs we turned down who wanted to be part of it because there were there were tons who've worked in other festivals, know us. They had to have a connection to Harlem. They had to get it. They have to either they've been up here. They love the music. Um, there's a connection, so there are crazy combinations going on. And um, and again, it's all up on the website with the different uh, different events. Well, the names are yeah. I mean, Sean Brock's coming up from Sean. I'm going to see Sean next week. Sean, you know, is one of the guys that's really put Charleston on the map. A lion. Of, I mean, what he's done with uh, with you know heritage seeds and sure. his farming and husk. I mean, it's an amazing story. In New York, Danielle Boulud's going to be involved. Alice Guarnaschelli's going to be involved. I mean, a whole litany of the New York sort of A-list chefs. It's, it's a really remarkable bunch of people you put together. Yeah, I mean, Danielle's also chair, uh, chef chair for City Meals on Wheels. Yeah, one of our two years. charities uh, with Harlem Park to Park, which is a small business initiative. Which is going to benefit. A percentage of these proceeds go to those two. Uh, all the, the, the net proceeds from the ticket sales, 100% of the net, is going to these charities. And... Um, they're great charities. I mean, Marcus and I and, and Danielle actually were walking around Harlem two weeks ago delivering meals to the elderly, in, and it was just an amazing experience. And for some of these people, it's the only outs- the exposure they have to the outside world is yeah. the person who comes and delivers yeah. their meal. I've had him on, on the show. I know. There's a lot of shut-ins. And a winter like this was brutal. I mean, a winter like this, to be old, I mean, we do this on this show, too. I've always done it. I did it when I was on Food Talk, too, to just sort of reach out and see what we could ring the bell for charities. And I live in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and in the not the hippest part. I'm south of Delancey in Co-op right. Village. And it's really a transformational neighborhood now. It had been Hasidic and older, and now it's... The last, in, the last affordable place of the city where you can live and not have to t- cross the East River, which I don't even know if this is affordable anymore, but w- there's a lot of old people down by me, and you could just... Uh-huh. Well, get- you got hip and happen, and they got Yonah Knishes and Katzes, so yeah, you're, you're all over on the same block. But, but, the, but my point is the old people, you could just see it. I mean, I see them in my building, and these people, you know, it's, you know, you got women in their 80s or 90s, you know, their husbands have passed away, who knows where their kids are. They can't go out when it's like this. I mean, they just don't. They get their right. walkers. They go to the basement and do laundry, feed the cat and watch TV all day. Uh, it's icy. It's cold. I mean, February was like a brutal month if you were young and healthy. So, yeah, what, 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 meals, what, what meals on Wheels does is astonishing. And, 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 and that spirit is, is being carried through everything we're doing with this festival. And what I mean by that is while there are the big, fancy, great big corporations that have had the foresight to support what we're doing – we're all, and, and, and we have media sponsors that, you know, from the New York Times, so of course, the Amsterdam News and ABC, Time Inc. Um, we're making sure that people in Harlem can come and, and participate and be at events. Um, there are event, you know, prices, all different prices for different price points, including free events on the weekends. So people can just come up to Morningside Park, hang out, see celebrity chef demos. Or buy a plate of food. Yeah, you've got a bunch of those demos. You got a whole bunch. You got whole days worth oh, of demos. Oh, there's a whole bunch of demos. Top and names taking the stage and what they do. Yeah, yeah. And, and another message for this festival also is around healthy. The need for healthy eating, and 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 exercise in Harlem. And and to that end, we've also uh, enlisted uh, uh, Health Magazine and Cooking Light as as two of yeah, our magazine partners. Saw them too. And we have the sports teams coming out on Sunday afternoon. We have the Knicks. We're going to come with some players and the dancers and hang out with the kids and uh, the Red Bulls. I mean, it's it's really it really is going to meld together. Food, well, food has become entertainment, as we know, and celebrity chefs have become have been entertainers. You know, and that's over overused, but. Really Harlem, true in this case. And Harlem's had a tradition. I mean, you know, Harlem's had its ups and downs, and it's reinvented itself. But, I mean, there was a time when Harlem was the place in the 40s and sure. with the jazz clubs. I remember one of the – I think it was our very first season. I've always been fascinated by that story of chicken and waffles and how it came to be and why it was an urban phenomenon. So we actually went to Wells Famous the last year it was open. And Mr. Wells had, had long long been gone, but Mrs. Wells was still there. And, and the story was this guy had come up from the coastal Carolinas and had lived in Florida. And it was these fishing towns. It was really one of the things 
fishermen come off a boat at six in the morning and they're, they'll, they'll eat anything. And chicken and waffles is like the perfect evergreen meal because it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, three in the morning. doesn't matter. There's nothing not to like about it. So when he first opened up in New York, he was giving it away. And that restaurant was so popular that during that time, you know, if Sinatra, all, they would just get tons of celebrities up there. They would have music and dancing. I mean, the place is on fire. That would, and then sort of Harlem with the 50s and 60s and 70s was in this steep decline and then the cracker and now it's just remarkably remarkable vital vital neighborhood and everything from the chicken and the waffles as you mentioned to great french food yeah to danish bakeries everything so tell me about some of the meals so what's going on thursday friday said they break it down sort of by day and yeah <clears throat> And we don't need ticket prices in exact location. Yeah, you go, go to the website. So I don't want yeah, to we'll go to the website. And we'll, have the, we'll have this on our Heritage Food website as well. We'll have the link. There are some dinners that are planned for Thursday night in some of the restaurants. Uh, Friday night we're doing what's almost like a dine around and in most of the top restaurants um, across Harlem. By the way, that was the other part. We wanted to be very inclusive with East Harlem, Central Harlem, yeah. and West Harlem. Yeah, it's a big piece of real estate. So there are dinners happening there. And it was another thing that we announced at the press conference. Um, Frankie Pellegrino from, from Rayo's yeah, gate I, closed down and gave me Rayo's for the night. Yeah, which is crazy. That, that doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's East Harlem. If people don't know. That's on the other that's side. The that's other almost side. By the that's east, the other side. Almost by the East River. And I've been out there to eat, man. And I remember I was like, I'm like a New York guy. I took the subway. And you walk through the projects to get there. You I mean, there is the no projects. escaping. He, where he's all the way. He's one block from the water. It's a dead-end street. And I'm like... Right. I got a black belt. I used to box, whatever. You know, you want to roll all. Yeah. I'm getting what? old, but you know, you better you better bring your A game. Mike, you're very safe around there. Yeah, <laughs> something tells me. But yeah, if that's you, I mean, so the Rails thing, I'm like, that's really. So you're going from one side of Harlem to the other. Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. we that invite went out to everyone in Harlem to be part of this. And we're trying to be, as I said, as inclusive as possible. And that so, beer hall's in the center of Harlem, I know. It's beer halls. Um, so there are all these dinners that are happening, right. on, the, happening on the Friday night. And then, and then we, we, we took an old Harlem term, the stroll, and said, let's, you know, on Saturday, you, we, you know you're going to have a lot of people coming over the weekend. What we might call for one of our other festivals, like a grand tasting or something, and just, this is, we're not doing that. We're going to have the stroll, and we're going to have people come into Morningside Park where there's a, an arts tent and a music tent, and of course, food tent, and there are going to be different, different vignettes of what Harlem was and is. And people can go from one tent to the other. They can see the chef demos. They can see what's going on um, and experience and stay for a long time, little time, whatever they want to do. Um, and then Sunday is more of a family day, as I said, with a, with a version of a, like a gospel brunch on the Sunday and, and leading into this afternoon with sports activities, focusing on kids and, again, families. And um, well, congratulations! I mean, it's a great idea. This one, they, you know, I, I got the blurb. I'm like, finally, you know, I mean, we've got the Harlem's getting a lot of press, and of course, Marcus is sort of like the adopted mayor at this point. Lives in Harlem, has his restaurants in Harlem. He's opening, you know, it's, it, the cat's been out of the bag, but there's, you know, he's opening Street Bird yeah. in about a, another couple of weeks, which I think is going to be off the charts. Yeah, and there's a great need right right up there on 116th Street in Frederick Douglass. So I think uh, he'll continue to expand. And be a great catalyst uh, for the neighborhood. As is so many of the other restaurateurs there. And Trinez over at Trinez Woods at, at Sylvia's, who's on our committee, and Janelle Proko at the, at, at the Apollo. Um, and, and, and just also, the sponsors have been involved. Um, we're excited next week. It, it, there's, there's a famous photo that was staged in the 50s of all the famous musicians who lived in Harlem on a, on a stoop. We're basically recreating that photo with all the chefs next mm. week mm. on a stoop mm. and trying to recapture some of that, if you will, just inspired our version. And that idea was actually brought by one of our founding sponsors, City, who's graciously agreed to underwrite it and pay for everything to help make that happen and help to promote the festival. So the passion and the commitment from, from just everyone who's been involved, the media side, the sponsors, um, the chefs, of course. You know, we just we just think it's gonna it all it's that perfect storm coming together in a very positive way. One more time we're gonna have well you can find out about this at the Heritage website, so if you're listening to this it's really easy, just glance at the website. It will have the link. But one more time, give it a shout out. What's the name? If you must www.harlemeetup.com. Harlemeetup.com. Uh, get your tickets now because if they're half sold out two months in advance, 
I suspect by the time we're getting into April, yeah. May, it's going to be gone. And if I'm I'm traveling a lot, I'm out of the country for I think most of that month, but I'll give you a shout out if I can get up Let there. Let us know. Love to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Herb Carlos. Thank you. Great New York vet, the guy that's done so much in that space of events. And now for the first time, the launch, the premiere, the one, and hopefully the first of many. Harlem Eat Out's great. Congratulations. We can't wait. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, Mike. Bring me some bumper music, and we'll go into our next guest in a minute or so. Stay where you are, folks. So if you want to make a great tomato sauce, where do you start? You start with great canned tomatoes. And what are the best? What's the gold standard? What are the best Italian restaurants use, you think? San Marzano tomatoes from southern Italy. You know, I've heard of San Marzano tomatoes, loved them, heard the whole legend thing, knew they were delicious, but I wanted to go visit the region. So sometime back, I don't know, 06, 07, we went to San Marzano in the middle of the packing season in August. They've got a really long growing season. Starts early spring, April, May, and runs all the way through October because the weather down there is beautiful. You're along the coastline of uh, Naples there in the shadows of Mount Vesuvius. And these are really small family farms, really small, like a half an acre, an acre apiece. And that's how they make a living is harvesting these tomatoes. But what makes them great is the typicity of everything, the style of the tomato. It's kind of a long tomato with a really thin skin, super fleshy, super sweet tasting off the vine. Uh, we can Cento San Marzano tomatoes in the prime of the season, which is August. They just slow production down, handpick everything. Those little basil leaves, yeah. They're all put in there by hand as well. Uh, it is the best canned tomato I've ever had, and you're going to love them too. There's a reason chefs love these things. They're San Marzano authorized from the beginning. The factory gets inspected every year. Hey, you want to make great tomato sauce at home? Start with great tomatoes. Cento San Marzano. That's what I use. Hey, folks. Mike Calameco here. Years back when I had my own restaurant... I had to figure out what kind of oils to use, you know, try to make money in the restaurant business. So, uh, you know, the most expensive oil wasn't the choice, but I had to use an oil that was great, an oil that I would use at home and also for my customers. Came upon Colavita olive oil, um, which to this day still stands head and shoulders above everybody in that extra virgin category in the supermarket shelves. So much of the extra virgin category is dominated by labels that sound like they're Italian. You know, they end with an O or something like that. But the truth is they're tank farm blends that come out of Italy, but what's in the jar or the can is oils from all over the world that are just bought on price. It's commodity oils. Uh, Colavita is the only one that's an extra virgin that's 100% Italian origin traceable. It's a great company. They really built their brand on the U.S. market. They get the U.S. market. So if you're looking for a super extra virgin olive oil, use the one that I've been using for years on my table at home and in my restaurants, wherever I was hanging my chef's toque. And that would be Colavita extra virgin. True Italian, great oil. So my first trip to Portugal was 2013. It was a wine trip. A bunch of us slew over and toured the country top to bottom. Fell in love with the place. The food, the wine, the scenery, everything had to come back, which I did in 14 to film. And this time, eight days in country, top to bottom again. Food, wine, surfing, what's not to love? If you've never been to Portugal, it's an extraordinary place. Buffered on one side by the Atlantic Ocean, you've got great seafood, great wines growing in all those regions. You go a little inland, you've got more great more great food, incredible wine country. Of course, Port is the birthplace of Ports Up the Douro. But my takeaway was, I thought I'd had a lot of varietals. Like I keep a list of 130, 135 varietals I've had over my life. Portugal has 250 of its own indigenous wine varietals. 
and they're killer good. A lot of them growing there for centuries. It has some of the oldest viticulture in Europe. Uh, the sparkling wines from the Bihada, the great reds coming down south from those regions. The, uh, what's not to love? Crisp whites, beautiful full-bodied reds, port wine, sparkling wine. So if you're not familiar with the wines of Portugal, next time you spot by at your local wine store, ask about them. I love them. I'm drinking a lot of them these days, and I think you will too. Thank you, Liz. That's my favorite bumper to get us back into the show. And I guess I heard them say girls prep. I couldn't tell if that was just a bunch of little kids' voices, but it's girls prep. Okay, so it's all girls. Shout out. Wonderful. My next guest, Chef Scott Anderson. Um, Of late, out of Princeton, New Jersey, the restaurant's Elements, if you haven't heard about it. I don't know why. Uh, It's gotten a lot of great press. In Jersey, of course, New Jersey Monthly, Top 25. Um, opinionated about dining, top 100, where I might just add in some fierce competition, they were number 23. Hell of a list there. Um, Black Book, Esquire 2011, I think John Mariani gave you a great shout-out. Sad to see John go, because the guy that replaced him, no comment there. Um, Scott, welcome. Thanks Thank for you. coming out from Princeton. I know it's a schlep. No, it's great. So did tell me when you were at... The Ryland Inn. Was I was I filming? Were you in the kitchen when I was there? I was. You were. That was what? That was like two thousand one. It must have been two. Yeah, it was a it was long like time ago. Eons ago. Oh yeah. Like you were eleven and I was had hair that wasn't gray. <laughs> no, that was Craig Sheldon. I have and a shout out to Craig, who's one of the most talented chefs I have ever worked with. Uh, I didn't work with him, met and or, and worked with him in terms of professionally covering him. But I have to say, the Ryland Inn. To my mind, at at that time and for the space afterwards, was the best restaurant in the state of New Jersey, bar none. He was oh yeah, by flat far. out by far. There was nothing close, nothing right. even close. So you have an interesting resume. So I mean, Rydland was great because he he was doing everything. Was, there was no difference between what he was doing, um, and even towards the end, making his own bread there. Right. I mean, it was it was kind of like what all the four-star, three-star Michelin guys are doing now. Right. He was doing there. Yes. His own garden, his own organic garden, his own herbs, right. everything in season, uh, really great technique in the kitchen. Um, what a great place for you to cut your teeth. A bunch of other places in New Jersey as well that you've worked, really good places. Mm-hmm. Um, what led you to Elements, and how did that happen? Uh, first of all, I've always loved Princeton. I've always been in Princeton. Um, town. Yeah, it's a great town. But the uh, proximity to not only local farms both in New Jersey and in the Bucks County area in the border of Pennsylvania, but but to the ocean, uh, you know, to the mountains, to the forest where I can get mushrooms. Uh, it's just the, the, the most perfectly centralized place to open a restaurant in New Jersey. Because it literally is, it's the middle of the state. If people Correct. don't know the geography, it sort of sits equidistant between Philadelphia and Manhattan right. on that Route 1 corridor. Right. Um, and there is a lot of farmland around there. I don't think people – there's still – even though it's been developed in Jersey, I think as most people in cars per capita than any other place, um, there's still a ton of farmland around that's been preserved. Really good farmland, like yeah. some serious like organic and heritage stuff. And for you, the thing that's like always needed, smart, rich people to support you. Correct. Um, but, I mean, the importance of the farming, at least it, to me, is – you know, uh, you know, a lot of the New York chefs, they can come to the market on certain days of the week. I get my produce in every day as soon as it's picked, or I can go get it myself. And it, it's just it's remarkable to me, you know, the, uh, the, the product, the, the bounty of product, from vegetables to the orchards, you know, the apples. I mean, just everything. It's, yeah. it's remarkable. And I don't think people realize that. And Jersey seafood. I mean, I wasn't aware of Jersey seafood until I, I left Manhattan back in 1988 to open a restaurant in Cape May, New Jersey. Was you know a New York chef. It was just full of piss and vinegar. Wanted to buy my own fish. Went to the market to buy my own fish. And um, I got to know the fishermen. And I got to know the markets. And I got to realize there was a seasonality to it's the huge. catch. It's huge. It's huge. And then you look at some. You know, you look at scallops. You look at some of the things that were. I mean, New Jersey just got. got I mean, Cape May is usually the third. By volume, dollar volume, the second or third most active port on the East Coast after New Bedford, Gloucester. Correct. It's which is crazy, right? People and, don't think of Jersey fishing, and excuse me. And it's on a it's on a small scale for the restaurants. It's also on an international scale as far as you know your your prepackaged your box frozen like calamari. 
I mean, it comes in to, to New Jersey yes. before it gets sold to the rest of the world. Clams, too. I don't yeah. think people realize that clay, they Cape May Clam Company, that family La Monica, I mean, I think a third of America's clams are coming off those waters. Right, the, La Monica, the, 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 the canned clams, yeah. You can't get over there. They're yep. ubiquitous, and that's actually a company. They're not located in Cape May. They live in Cape May now. They started in Brooklyn, then Staten Island, but they've been in South Jersey, headquartered in Cape May right. forever now. And you had mentioned seasonality. I mean, we, you know, we're able to stick so close to you know, the black bass season, uh-huh. into the fluke season, yeah. into Thai. Fish into this, into tuna, into that, and and you know, I, I sometimes shrug my shoulders, you know, at how some people don't understand it. But I, as a chef, I mean, I, it's like a playground. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because it's a world. I mean, we're about ingredients. I mean, you can't seventy five percent of what we do is what comes in the back door. Right. You're you're getting second, third rate ingredients. You can't do much with. You them. can't do much with it. And if if I can't get it uh, from New Jersey, I don't need it. So. Elements, the original elements, because right now you're sort of on hiatus. You have a restaurant called Mistral yes. in Princeton. But the original elements, I remember hearing about it when it was in the pipeline. There was some crazy some crazy chef guy with his business partner that, of all things, took over like a, a, had been a gas station. Yeah, it was more of a, more of a service, service station, station that was also like an Avis rent-a-car. But, I mean, what it, not normally what you would think of as a potential restaurant property. Right. Buy it, clean it up, gut it, tear it down, and then build this beautiful state-of-the-art kitchen. Right. How many years did it run in that incarnation? Uh, it ran five and a half years. Okay. And then uh, we decided to move it above our other restaurant, Mistral, because uh, I, I don't think a lot of people understand the way liquor licenses work in New Jersey. Yeah, Jersey's a funny bugger. In some townships, you can get them for you know, a decent price tag. In other yeah, Kate May, they go for five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. Our, ours was, it, it's the last one that got sold in New Jersey, which is about a month ago, or in Princeton rather, was one point two million for the in pri- Princeton for the privilege of selling booze. Right now, how can you make money off that? You can't. You cannot. You, so I, I mean, we had when we auctioned West Cape May used to be dry. We rezoned it to allow one store. We auctioned it off and it went for half a million dollars in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's a store. It's a it's not a restaurant. It's a package store. But even then, I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I'm a restaurant guy. I can do the math. It's a lot of Coronas. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) For a town that's only in season for really two months. Right. And then you're just supporting sort of the local drunks and whoever else is buying stuff. Yes. Then it becomes a lot of Coors Lights. A lot of Coors Lights. And a lot of those airplane bottles. I don't want to get into that. That's another story. So when Elements reopens upstairs, it's going to be smaller? Much. 40 seats? 30. How's the kitchen space going to be? Uh, Kitchen space is is fairly large for a 30-seat restaurant. Um beautiful it should, it, it should work out beautifully we're building a hearth right now so i'm gonna have my wood fire and you there. are you are oh yeah it's built that's so sweet was missy robbins you know missy from avoce of course she was in last week she's opening up in brooklyn later well, who knows when whenever these things happen in, in new york city when you get all the permits but either this spring or summer and in in williamsburg in north williamsburg towards the, towards the Greenpoint side by mccarran park and one of the centerpieces of her restaurant is going to be a wood-burning grill. Right. Same thing. Totally stoked. You're, you're there, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the other elements, you know, we built this beautiful kitchen, you know, old school, uh, you know, like Waldorf-style French. Yes, classic square kitchen, Square kitchen. I found, out, I found most of my cooking were, was outside on three <laughs> broken-down grills that we loaded with wood in most of my cooking. So we had cooks running in and out. And so I decided just to build one this time. Bring it indoors. Bring it indoors. Have fun with it. Oh, yeah. Have you seen what Seamus Mullen did at Tertulia, the new one? No. Go check it maybe tonight on the way out of here. Google Tertulia's address. I don't know off the top of my head, like West Village, find a parking meter. He's got a sick one. Yeah. And the, his design is really neat because he's got shelves above it that nice. are like holding warming shelves. Yep. So he can cook, put stuff up there, or hold it. Like it's smoking. really interesting. Check it out. Yeah. It'll, just, it'll save you another trip to Manhattan because I must say, she, Missy sort of based her design off of his and asked okay. permission if she could just rip it off. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, so... 30, so you're going to, I mean, this is going to be different menu, tasting menu, a la carte menu. Um, now you've got so few seats. I mean, this gives you a chance to just play. Well, this gives me a chance to, you know, at, at, you know, at Elements, we reached a certain level where, you know, what we were trying to do mixed in with an 80-seat restaurant right. got a little, it got difficult yeah, to maintain a, a, a certain level. Um, with 30 seats, we, we, we should be able to do the things that we, you know, within a tasting menu that we've always wanted to do. But we're not going to be a tasting menu only restaurant. You okay. can't. I, I feel that you can't do that in the suburbs. Yeah. People don't always want to come home from right. New York. Committed to because Princeton, everybody works in New York. They don't want to come home at seven and then commit to a three and a half hour right. dinner. Right. Uh, so we'll do you know a, 
Taste menu, of course, but a la carte as well. Maybe on weekends, tasting only. Right. Uh, we still haven't, we're still trying to feel that out yet. But It's funny, there's, not to bore you with New York stories, but there's one of the best couple of meals I had last year in the city, doesn't matter which boroughs, was in Brooklyn at a restaurant, two restaurants, Batterby, Battersby and Dover. It's two young guys. Mm-hmm. They met at Alan Ducasse, uh, then they sort of... Stayed friends, parted ways, stayed in touch. They ended up working at Gramercy Tavern. Ended up coming to Brooklyn, getting their first chef jobs. They opened up this little... Battersby was this little snippet. It it sat maybe 35 people. It had a four-burner stove with one oven. I mean, which was in the bar. It was all exposed. I'm like, it was pure ghetto. Right. I mean, kind of a chef's dream slash nightmare at the same time. Right. But... Everything from scratch, all their baking in-house, like they just said, we're going to nail it. We're going to do it. And they started with the same concept as you. Of course, it's Brooklyn's a little different, but they did an a la carte menu and a tasting menu. And what they found was once the word got out how good the food was, everybody was signing up for the tasting menu. So you'll see. You'll see how it It's funny you say that because towards the end of uh, Elements at the the old space, we started doing way more tasting menus, you know, even during the week than we even expected. So, you know, we may continue on that trail, but we don't want to cut out. You know, some of the people don't want to spend that much time. And Mr. All Downstairs, more casual. More casual, small plates concept. You know, everything's shared, you know, tasting size, shared plates. Um, really neat. Our chef's fantastic. Who does your wines? I'm curious. You select that. You have a som. You have a consultant. Uh, for upstairs, for elements, we do have a sommelier. Uh, for downstairs, we just kind of pick them as the menu, you know, Moves. changes out. Yep. Because it's, I mean, my, my next guest is one of my, uh, I mean, one of many. I love soms. They're some of my best friends in the city are. I'm a huge wine guy, and it's so... It's just, I mean, it was this wine bar last night owned by these French people, Racine, and they were saying the the guy that works there is a French guy. Said, you know, we we you can get better wine in the states now, especially in the New York metro area. So? Then I can I get wines, French wines here that I, I don't know how to get them in France. Wow! So it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's really turned around. Right. So you've been so you've been in Princeton working prior to Elements. You were a chef somewhere there. Uh, prior to Elements, I mean, I was at the Ryland Inn, but you know, okay, in the meantime, House, it was about White Horse, really. yeah, White White House, White House, it's about forty five minutes away. But I've always lived just outside of Princeton. I just love the area. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't think I don't write. You know, Jersey gets shat on so much because New Yorkers tend to be assholes by nature. So if it's if it's not Manhattan, I'm not, I'm not going to say that because I need some of them out here. <laughs> if it's not if it's not Manhattan or Westchester or the Hamptons, it's no good. But um, there are parts of Jersey that are spectacularly beautiful, and Princeton is just a breathtakingly beautiful town. Right. And again, to your point, I mean, it's remarkable. I know a couple of other chefs in your community um, who I just see them on Facebook. You know, just all year long bragging about the ingredients. It's, it's it's a chef's paradise. I mean, and once you make it out of the Newark area, and you you know if you make it out of Manhattan, I mean, if you take the train, it's forty five minutes. That's I it. mean, it's a breeze. I mean, it took me two hours to Drive. get here. You know, driving. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, the train. You know, the train's easy. Thanks for coming out, man. My pleasure. Keep up the great work. And Thank one you. of these days, I'll, I'll have to book a hotel room. But one of these days, I want to come when you have the new one open and you've got your feet under you. Oh, yeah. And let you cook. Because I've heard great things. Um, Resume is great. Obviously, all the praise is well, earned you. and deserved. Yeah. Much appreciate you driving out to Bushwick. My Make pleasure. it worth your while. If you can remember, get in your car. Just Google Tertulia. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. The newest one. Okay. Find a place to park. Cause it's on the way. You're not far from the Holland Tunnel. You can just right. shoot down Hudson to Varick and then through and... Yeah, you're gonna get screwed with traffic anyway. Maybe yeah. maybe I even have a bite to eat there. Before yeah, you drive e- home. either way, I'm. <laughs> yeah, check. I, have a, I have a bag full of cigars, so I'm not worried. Check out the bar. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Um, Elements is the name of the restaurant. Scott Anderson is the chef. When it, if you, in the meantime, you can try his food at Mister All. If not, wait till he reopens. I'll let you know when his program this summer. This summer you should reopen. June. June. Perfect. Thank you, chef. Thank you. All right, we're going to play a little bumper music and get into our next guest, Risto Zazowski, who's here in the wings. We'll have him on in a second. Can't beat this.
This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Yes, you are. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're listening to Michael Lameco's Food Talk. And my guests, there's two in the studio, but one of them is going to be stealth for the time being. Stealth, stealth guest, surprise guest. That's right. May make, may, may comment, may not. No requirements there. But my scheduled guest, as billed at the outset of the show, is Risto Zazowski. Who I don't know when I first met Risto. Probably on the floor at one of Michael White's restaurants. Uh, Risto is one of the great sommeliers in the city. Um, he worked for many, many years with John George at John George, uh, doing helping with the wine program on the floor, which is you know says enough, right? Four star New York Times, three star Michelin, great wine program. Uh, then he was tapped by Michael White, who, as his empire was just beginning to expand, was looking to put together a cadre of super talented people in all those spaces. So he got Eben Freeman for cocktails. Eben, I don't know if he's still with him, but Eben is a brilliant, brilliant guy. If he doesn't have Eben, he's got someone else as brilliant, I'm sure. And he tapped Risto for wine. And then as, as Michael White, Inc. began to really expand... Risto, I don't think I see him so much on the floor. I could be wrong, but you're probably moving around a lot more. Yeah, I'm behind the scenes. Behind the scenes guy. But that means, tell us, let's just, we're going to talk about what we're drinking today. And by the way, happy birthday. Thank you. It's Risto's birthday today, everybody. He's 29. Pop the cork. He's, hold on, Here, hold on. Pop, that pop the cork, hold on. Ah, yeah. that's a good sound anytime. That was but real. For a that birthday. was, that was and it's also Kate Crater's birthday, food and wine. Happy birthday, Kate Crater. And Ryan Sutton, who is the, I know all this because you know how Facebook is. Oh my God, I know. Too much information. But I found out that, that this morning. Ryan Sutton, who's the food critic, one of the food critics for Time Out New York. Risa, what's a day? I want to hear before we get to what we're drinking and we get wine geeky, what is a day like for you? Because uh, how many wines a day are you tasting now? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? What's it like? Um, I I balance it out. I'm I'm basically living off my bag and floating from restaurant to restaurant. So um, the thing I really try to do when I taste is schedule something with some of my psalms at the restaurants and taste together with them, so we all can be kind of on the same page, or I can see, you know, what they like versus what I like. And I mean, my whole job is just to help them focus and give them all the tools for success. Um, some places I'm at more than others. Um, the ones that have wine directors, I'm, you know, I don't have to be at as much. We just have have more like bigger, um, kind of more um, kind of mission statement things that we work on. But then the smaller ones, it's going in, making sure everybody's like got what they need. And yeah, I mean, and I was at I was in the cellar all day today, those three Marini. So just um, tasting, just kind of, tasting, tasting. No, no, no. Just going through things. Going through organizing. Just keeping keeping systems in place, but also um, I didn't taste anything today. But actually, I did. I did. Uh, sorry, you want my day today? I started at Costada tasting cocktails for the spring cocktail menu, and I did taste some wine this morning. Before that, with uh, the uh, legendary David Newland, and um, and then before that, we had yeah. So I mean, yeah, I guess I did a lot today so far. <laughs> You're off tonight. You're done for the day. We pull the plug. You don't have to go back anywhere. I'm never done, but I'm gonna have dinner with my my family and you, yes, and you guys right after here yes. and then um i'll be i'll be available okay all right um so te- so i had suggested i mean we could go on about wines forever but i'd sort of said let's talk about nebbiolo and we could talk about some of the bigger ones but you know barolo's out of a lot of people's reach and as a style it's interesting but kind of obdurate needs a ton of age and um, I don't think a ton of it because it's so bloody expensive. So I was thinking we could do Nebbiolo as a grape and, and then talk about some of the lighter. T- and you said, let's talk about sparkling Italians. Well, which, which, yeah, and, was... and I just said, you know, it's your birthday. Your call. I mean, we could do Nebbiolo next time. Well, absolutely. <laughs> so we've had champagne guests on this show. We've talked about the Bielada in Portugal where I was last year. Real eye-opener that makes some amazingly good method champenoise style sparklers there. Talk to me about what you've brought today, because is uh, yeah, I did. Um, is it prosecco? I, did, it? I brought everything. I brought five different bottles actually, okay, um, good. and for the most part, three different categories. Um, so we're starting off with um, we're going to do three clear. So looks like champagne, looks like prosecco. So we're going to do a prosecco next to a French ricotta, um, and explain the difference there, and then kind of a, a super method classico wine afterwards. You know, because I wanted to try something. Different, uh, yes, and then we're gonna do two Lambruscos next to each other and kind of talk the difference. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have two wines in front of us we have a Prosecco and a French Accorda. Prose- they're both named after pretty much regions. Um, 
Prosecco, everyone kind of sees, is very affordable. Um, it's very easy to drink. It's very just aperitif-like. And the French Accorda is basically like the champagne of... Um, of Italy, it's a it's a DOCG region. It has restrictions, and the two major differences here are, other than cost, is the way the wines are made. Correct. So French Accorda is made. Um, sorry, Prosecco, right. being the Meroperitif style, is made in a Cremant method invented by a guy named Eugene Cremant back in the early early 1900s, and is basically the wines fermented in a tank and transferred into bottles. So it's very affordable. It's easy to make. It's easy to control, and it can be made quickly. And you keep that tank chilled. So you have these huge chilled tanks that are holding copious amounts of wine that you're bottling all year round. No one's turning bottles. No yeah. one's doing degorging. It's just a big vat of ready-to-go. And, and wine's ready wine. within a year to go yeah. and, and, and out there, where Champagne or French Accorda and these rules have to age for years uh, in the bottle, be turned. So the two major... This was the Prosecco. The Prosecco is the uh, yes, fruitier one. Yeah. one. Yeah. Well... No? Yeah? hope I'm not wrong already. No, the Prosecco, that's the Prosecco. That is. That's the Prosecco. And so... I guess I'm wrong already. No, it's okay. You're not wrong. Nobody's wrong. Um, so it's affordable. It doesn't have to be aged. And the major... Uh, that's the price difference. And the major characteristic difference is um, that it doesn't sit on its lees very close in contact with the bottle. And it's separated and racked off. So it leaves you with this very more fragrant, fresh style. So that's why Prosecco uh, has that really kind of very... Uh, um, that kind of like apple peach blossom yeah. characteristics and it's not sharp or dry it's got a very kind of freshness to it where champagne or french accorda has to be aged on the bottle on the lees on the on the dead yeast cells longer which creates more of a dryness more of a minerality more of a complexity more nuance uh yeah i mean it's yeah. definitely more serious wine yeah. but also it, it 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 also takes longer to get there and because you can leave them on the leaves for a year, two years, three years, yeah. as long as you want in champagne, sometimes they'll go seven to eight. Yeah, we're going to taste one that's been on the leaves for ten years. Yes, that's going to be good. Yeah. So, uh, so as you can taste, the French Accorda is really light, bubbly, very unpretentious, great uh, for mixing if you want to make bellinis and mimosas. The next wines are French Accorda, which uh, I think i got to pour you some. I think this was it. Yeah, I'll pour you some more. So right, this drinking. is... Um, I'm not spitting, by the way. I'm, I I'm not either, either. I mean, I'm not either, I guess. Right. So, I mean, um, what's this, 10.5? Uh, it's like, yeah. It's like drinking beer. So this is from uh, one of my favorite producers, Barone Pizzini. Uh, they're organic, um, which adds another layer to, you know, production. Uh, it's a 2009 Brut Natural, so it's got no added sugar to it. Um, it is aged for, I think, around two years. Uh, sorry, it's a 2009, so it's got to be aged for at least three years. On the lees, um, I mean, I'm not going to get technical here. I'm trying to make Well, fun. no, we've talked about that. So that means, so so what, so the method Champenoise style, which is the other style, there's a Charmat style method Champenoise. Method Champenoise means you have initial fermentation, and then you're reintroducing yeast, sometimes with sugar, and that's going to sit in the cap of the bottle at that angle, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the, what we're talking the, about sitting on the lees. And those bottles have to be turned almost on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is the bubbles are, the, the secondary fermentation, the bubbles that are created are created in the bottle, where with Prosecco and the tank method, it's done in the tank and yes. then pressurized over. So that's right. why it, it takes more time, more space. Um, it's just an investment of, you know, it's like, it's like buying something and you can't make any money off of it for like three to five years. So that's, why, that's why wine costs money. Like That's why Brunello, why Barolo, because they have to be aged for so many years before they can be released. So that's kind of the, the, the reason why, one of the factors why they're so expensive. So um, this is a super dry, racy, I mean, definitely more mineral driven. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely like a baby champagne in my opinion. Um, I think French Accorda also compared to champagne, champagne tends to be pretty... Um, kind of very chalky and clean and tangy and apple and lemony, where French Accorda tends to be a little bit more moussey. But this is a Brut Naturel, so it's actually, it really battles. I mean, I don't know, do you like it? Yes. Okay. That's our mystery guest. We're not going to identify her. She's a mystery guest in the studio. She said she likes it. So um, <laughs> I know, She's quiet and she's drinking it and she's uh, not spinning. Um, so I want to pass, so this next one is kind of um, the the third method champenoise. Uh, sorry, the third... Um, Clear style. We'll do the lime briskets next to each other. You want to drink that? Okay. So, sorry, let me talk. I know I gotta get in front of the mic. Um, this wine is from um, Piedmont, and when I first had this wine, I'm like, holy 
What, shit. What is this? You can say that here. Holy shit, what is this? And um, this is a 2001 Brute. It's called Brute Zero Valentini from a producer called uh, um, uh, Rocket de Monzone. So the Brute Zero is supposed to imply no sugar? Yeah, no... in all honesty, the cool thing with this wine is it's done method champenoise. It's all Chardonnay from what I remember. It's grown in vineyards in Monteferrato, whatever it's called. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my, my, my Somebody fill us. We have two psalms in a room and oh, a man. An idiot. That's what happens when we're drinking uh, bubbles, I guess. Um, uh, it's in one of the crews. It's in one of the Barola crews. I can't, sorry. Um, and, this is delicious. And it's aged on the lease for 10 years. This is, that's why. And this is, like, on the nose, I'm saying, this is really interesting. This is really, whoops. Get close to the mic, Michael. So this is what happens when you give me a glass of champagne. This that's why you put me on second. <laughs> Third. Um, God, it just goes on and on and on. Ten years on, ladies. And look at the color, huh? Yeah, it's golden. I mean, with with age, wine turns uh, white wine turns get, gains color. Um, and yeah, it's two thousand one. It's current release. Um, mm. it, this mm. guy, this guy's reds are. De- he definitely likes to use wood. There's oak on this, so it's kind of like in that Bollinger style, like the RD, the big Bollinger style. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he does like to use wood. He's very modern. His reds are very popular, especially for people that are being introduced to Barolo because of the that kind of sweet wood characteristic. But he is a modernist. I think this is my my favorite wine from him uh, by far. And the minerality and acid on the back end. I mean, my at the end of the last sip, my eyes were starting to like tear up. Like what? Yeah. Like from here to there. This is super, delicious. Super creamy. Super expensive. This must be. It has to be. We're talking about how long it takes to make. So it's ten years sitting around just getting worked and twiddled. And yeah, I mean, it probably retails for about seventy. That's that's like mid-priced method champagne. Wash I mean, just just so you know, the the prosecco is on our list for about I mean, on a restaurant wine list, like forty to fifty, depending where you're going. The Pizzini is about ninety. I think it's at ninety-five at Ostrom Marini, and then the Valentini's depending on the uh, is between a hundred and ten to a hundred and twenty. That was delicious. So yeah, it's like um, it's like drinking um, like base entry level champagne. In the yeah, no, it's better than it's great. Cool, it's delicious. It's great. Um, but these are these are fun, um, really fun wines. People don't really. I mean, it's it's like you know, do you really want to spend that money on something that you never had before or champagne, which is definitely understandable. But I don't know. These are these ones and excite me. Can so. we talk about like this last one? Yeah, one of the one of my missions in life, it seems. Always loved champagne. I'm an older guy, and I grew up at a time when it was more affordable than it's become now. And I love the RDs. I love all those. But back in the day when I was younger, you could sort of drink those yeah. on occasion. They're great. Be, be but, but, but I found that for the American palate, like, thanks for champagne as something you drink before dinner as a toast during a certain time of year. And I'm like, wait a minute. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. Yeah. Main grapes. Yep. The really good ones have tons of structure. Mm-hmm. Why don't they work with food? They do. They work the whole way through the meal. And I'm also, and my other mission is to try and get people not to use flutes, but to use a white wine glass. Yeah. Do I have any agreement with this room? Anybody want to talk about this? Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, I, champagne with food. Like, if you think, like, be, even beyond salumi and cheese, like pizza, anything fried, white fish, light fish, it's like perfect. I, I I've had many meals that I drink champagne all the way across, straight through. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so great. Like, why? I don't know why people don't drink it with food. I mean, again, I think people don't know a little bit about it either. I think it's like great as a celebration, but it's more like I want a bottle of white or I want a bottle of red, and that's fine. I mean, it's more for us. Yeah, I get. I, I mean, mean I the can... more the more demand, the more the more expensive it gets. So, so oh, just, uh... stop! We're trying to be generous and educate people. No, I think anyone should just go out and and, and feel like champagne can be drunk all the time. And yes, it, I agree it, with you drinking it in a regular wine glass because. Then you can feel like it's not, you know, it just feels like a wine. Drink it like a wine. And then I even had it. I remember once being out with somebody and we like decanted a bottle. I forget what the reason was, but just just get a little of the oomph out of the edge out of the bubbles and go to it. All right, next is Lambrusco. Uh, yeah, we're doing uh, two Lambruscos. Talk about this because these are interesting. Americans don't quite get these because Italians love these. It's a slightly different style. It's yeah. frizz. How would you so, describe it? So yeah, I mean it's a frizzante okay. red, right. um, lively. I mean it's not going to be as bubbly as um, it's not going to be as bubbly as like uh, Method uh, Chef and Wasser or not. But because um, of I mean so yeah, classically from Emilia Romagna Lombardia region, uh, we have a pretty fun selection at Osteria Marini, and um, I, I brought two different styles, uh, because Lambrusco, 
has been uh, kind of bastardized in this country back in like the late 60s, 70s, 80s, thinking yes. like it's just so sweet, kind of like how sherry was bastardized in a way too because our American palate's so sweet. But now there's been a following and... Well, there's five DOCs, right? There's, uh, yeah, there's, there's actually seven that can make it. There's five oh. labeled though, yes. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, and, but I brought two main, uh, main grapes. So classically, yes, it's a red fizzy wine that's served chilled. So think about it. You want red wine and you want to start your meal with red wine, um, but you feel like, well, I have to drink white or I have to drink, uh, you know, something like sparkling or it's like, it's like the whole orange wine thing. Like, well, I want to drink white, but I feel like drinking red or it's like, why not? This is like, this is kind of like a crossover thing in a way. So, um, and, and now we're making, we're getting like real producers here that classically make like classic structured dry styles, not just the sweet ones, which are fine, but you know, you think of sweet, you think like, uh, like, I mean, even Riesling's still trying to get its reputation no, back, I, you know? And I agree too. I mean, it sounds like, even though I'm Italian, Italians love this pink fizzy stuff that's sort of off sweet, but, um, it's like, I never knew what it went with. I prefer them dried out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they work with in the food world. I mean, dessert? Um, yeah, I think dessert. I mean, classically, we pair these with, like, cured meats and cheeses. Um, oh, God. Wow. What's this? Yeah. So, great color. I mean, this is dark. Yeah. I, honestly, I just poured this, and I realized I picked the wrong one. So, um, <laughs> my, my, whole, my whole point here it's is good. just destroyed here. No. Um, <laughs> We could just flub it. It's radio. No one can see. There's yeah, no. no it's a, so it's very translucent. It's light and pink <laughs> light, in color. Yeah, light pink, pale, yeah, yeah. light. Yeah, very uh, much. So the point here was I was trying to bring two, um, the two, two styles. Like you have um, uh, Sabora, which is a, a very – you'll sometimes see Lambrusco that's super like kind of dark neon pink and drinks like a, like a really like a tangy – uh, strawberry kind of mineral red cherry juice, mm. and that works really well as an aperitif. Um, and then the second one, I mean, you've heard of grapes like Gasparoso and um, and um, and Sabila and all these things. So that's why I was trying to go with the second one here. But we also have two different winemakers, uh, two different styles here too, uh, uh, two different philosophies. You have the first one, which is from um, um, Medici um, um, Ermite, who is considered if you're like looking at your top five reputations, this is one of them. Um, super nice guy, fourth generation. Uh, obviously, every generation wants to make things better and better and better, and he's definitely done that. Um, dry, meaty. I mean, I think about drinking these with like meat and cheese boards. Dude, I mean, there's tannins on the back of this. There's like grippy tannins. This is not lightweight stuff, and I don't see a lot of frizzante in this either. Yeah, so this is done Charmant method, uh, tank method, same as the Prosecco. So it's made in a big tank and then transferred over. Uh, it helps, uh, obviously, not – it keeps it fresh. I mean, you're not supposed to age these wines. They're meant to be drunk young, meant yes. to be drunk on release. Yes. And that's the, the reason for that. Mm. And, again, super affordable. I mean, I think you can find this in a wine shop for, like, under 20 bucks. No way. Yeah. That's, that's something. Our mystery guest, who's really quiet, works at a restaurant where every night they savor sparkling wines at the bar in front of people. That's all I'm telling you. It's a girl, though, so it's not the guy. I'm just telling you. I'm not going to name names. We're not putting anybody on the spot. Let's get the second wave. All right, so the second one, yeah, uh, we got to hurry up. um, So this is from the... I mean, this is the... Oh, man, what's this? What's up with this? um, Yeah, it's a little animal. Um, So this is... (laughs) Totally This is a little bit of a horse's ass here. Right, this is like... Barn more yardy, of a cow's ass, yeah. Funky. So this is from Donati, um, Camilo Dumat, Dumat, uh, Donati. Sorry, that's all right. And um, this is the wine that got me excited about Lambrusco. Naturally made, fermented in this bottle, so not even method champenoise, not, not not even method, uh, not even. Ca- he just puts the wine in there. He puts a. Uh, a beer cap, like a basic crown cap, and that's it. So the wine has some sediment on the bottom. Um, he's like a hunter. He's very just, you know, this is the cycle of life. And yeah, this I mean, is. That's, the first one was the heaviest Lambrusco I've ever had. And this one, I mean, the tannin on the back end is just gong. Yeah. It's dry. It's bone dry. It's grippy. Organic. Um, it's hard to make any of these wines, uh, sparkling wines, biodynamic just because you need to. It's it's just it's it's a, there's one more layer of of complex of uh, of fermentation with the bubbles. So I, I don't think I've ever seen a biodynamic. Maybe, maybe there's a couple, but organic is definitely uh, more practice. I just know wineries that are biodynamic for their still wines, but organic for their 
sparklings, and that's why I'm just using that common sense uh, aspect. Got to get of it. you back, Risto, because I wanted to talk about the Caricante from Mount Etna. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Nebbiolo, uh, and our mean, mystery guest. Maybe we'll get her back sometime. Patrick's been out. Just letting you know. Patrick's been all right. Enough said. We got to wrap it up. It's been an hour. They get Liz gets so mad when this show goes over an hour because then she has to edit it. It's like, oh my god, Michael, can you possibly do sixty minutes? I mean, you have a clock in front of you. All right, thank you. Thank you, man. Uh, You've been listening to Risto Zosowski, one of the great psalms in New York City. Obviously, passionate about what he does. Um, the mystery guest is going to be named, unnamed because that's what mystery guests are. Oh, it's 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 Bryn from Pearl and Ash. Okay, <laughs> who's smiling? Say, say hi, say hi, hi, hi to the people. Lips are getting purple. Hi, to everybody. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Mick. We'll be back next week with more guests. I don't know who they are. I don't think, I don't think I've even booked the show yet, but we will. And now we're going to go eat, and drink, and be merry at Roberta's. See you next week, folks. On that note. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.